I invite you to turn with me in your Bible uh, first to Exodus chapter 20 as we come to the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, and then we're going to turn to Isaiah 58. Just to remind you that as we've been thinking about these commandments, we've been very conscious about the fact that God does not begin a relationship with a people by giving them commands, right? God is a gracious God. And God does not come with commands, but he comes first to his people with his grace. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is a prologue of grace, and it situates God's commandments within his covenant of grace. And these commandments, then, are not the ways by which we win God's favor or establish a relationship with God, but it's how we live in relationship to God, a relationship that God has already established with us by his grace in Jesus Christ, by giving us his Son. And so uh, this also pertains to the fourth commandment as we think about the Sabbath day. Uh, For the Jews, it was the Saturday at the end of the week. For Christians, it is the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, this day, a day of gladness and a day of rest for God's people. And I don't plan on giving a defense for why the day has switched, but I will say, at least just very briefly, that we see precedents for this all throughout the scriptures. Often when God does something, and especially something redemptive for his people, the calendar changes. Uh, the first day of the month is, or of the year is marked by God's deliverance. And so we see throughout the Bible God changing the calendar depending upon his work of redemption. And so too with the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, now that the Lord's day has changed from Saturday, the end of the week, now to Sunday, the beginning of the week, as we live out of the rest and the victory that Jesus Christ has won for his people. No longer looking forward to it necessarily, but now living out of it as Jesus Christ has accomplished it. And so we begin the week in worship. We begin the week by honoring this day and finding it to be indeed a day of rest and gladness. So let's go and turn to the fourth commandment here, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says there, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Four and six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're going to turn now to Isaiah chapter 58. And we'll consider the whole chapter, but especially thinking upon uh, the last two verses, verses 13 and 14, in connection to the fourth commandment here. So Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 1, it reads, Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. And delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose? 
This is the Lord speaking to his people, of course. A day for a person to humble himself. It is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hunger and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We're going to turn now to our catechism in the back of the hymnal, to Lord's Day 38. You should find that on page 891, 891. And here in uh, just uh, one question, uh, the catechism opens up for us partly what it means for us as God's people to obey the fourth commandment. And um, again, our focus is going to be primarily on Isaiah uh, 58, uh, but here some of the implications of the fourth commandment for us are drawn out by the catechism. So I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answer. Question 103, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So far from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has created you for rest and for gladness. Simple point that the Bible teaches us about ourselves. God made you in his image that you might find rest and gladness in him. It's why you were made. It's why you exist. And as we rebel against such purposes, finding our rest and our gladness in God, we don't certainly never end up coming to find rest and gladness, but instead we find exhaustion and sorrow. In many ways, that is the misery of the world around us, one of exhaustion and sorrow, a treadmill-like existence of running, 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 and getting nowhere, and in the end, finding nothing 
but sorrow. The things that I'm pursuing, I never obtain. I never gain any ground. And into that situation of misery, of the common lot of mankind, God came to his people. He delivered them from that by bringing them to himself. And this reality is actually reflected for us in Isaiah 58. And we see this in verses, um, uh, verse 8, for example. It says that your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And the picture here is one that is reminiscent of when God delivered his people out of Egypt, right? The pillar of cloud and a fire, right? Went before God's people leading them, but also behind them, surrounding them as God brought them out of their misery into a land where he would be with them as their God. And in that land, with their God, they would find rest and gladness, the thing for which God had created them. Well, Isaiah is predicting and prophesying of a future deliverance, one in which God will not simply bring his people out of a place on earth, but he will deliver them from their sin and their misery. He will take them from the exhaustion and the sorrow of their sin and bring them into a new creation, bring them into a new day. A day of of rest and of gladness. And so as we think about Isaiah 58 in connection to the fourth commandment, we see two different days, in a sense, presented to us that we want to reflect upon. It opens up with a day of exhaustion and sorrow, and it transforms into a day of rest and gladness. And that's going to be our two points as we briefly think about this commandment for our lives. A day of exhaustion and sorrow gives way to a day of rest and gladness. And so we begin with this day of exhaustion and sorrow, and it isn't pretty. Uh, It isn't a a comfortable thing to think about. What we find in these opening verses of Isaiah 58 is a people who are, in a sense, religious. Um, God, in, in a kind of ironic way, says that they seek him daily. They delight to know his ways. And they pretend that they were a people who did righteousness and, forsake, uh, and did not forsake the judgments of God. But you see, what ended up happening in this situation is that these religious activities, as they were performed on this day of fasting, really ended up leading to exhaustion and sorrow for God's people. Because on this day, rather than their hearts being engaged in the worship of God and delighting themselves in the ways of God, All of their religious activity was engaged in in order that they might benefit themselves. Religion for them, and why it was a day of exhaustion and sorrow, was because religion was for them a means to an end. The worship of God was a means to an end. The sacrifices before God were a means to an end, and that end was their own pleasure, as the text highlights for us. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And that's the irony of of the whole situation of mankind, right? In seeking their pleasure, they never find pleasure. In seeking rest, they never find rest. In seeking gladness, they never find gladness. Because they seek such gladness of themselves and not from outside of themselves. And so their religion then, as they engaged in all of these sacrifices and in this um, repentance and in these um, various activities, 
They were exhausting themselves trying to put pressure on God to give them what they wanted. In a sense, their religion was exhausting and sorrowful because it was a means to an end of putting pressure on God to bless them in the way that they wanted, to further their cause. And so this religion became for them certainly not rest and gladness, but exhaustion and sorrow. Just to kind of highlight or summarize a few of what their religion was like. Their religion was hypocritical, right? Their hearts were for themselves. Their hearts were filled with themselves. God was a means to an end. The religion put pressure on God to bless them. And God was viewed by them to exist for their sake and not them for God's sake. Religion was a matter of convenience for them, right? They did it out of a sense because they thought that through it, they would achieve their own pleasure. And ultimately, their religion then was earthly-minded. They sought earthly blessing rather than seeking the God of heaven. And so this day then was for them a day of exhaustion and sorrow. Now, these very adjectives are often what describe the way in which people view religion today. Religion is just kind of this um, uh, killjoy way of living. Uh, It's a sort of way of living that you deprive yourself of things. And in many senses, they're right when religion is simply a means to your own ends. When God is viewed as existing for your sake and you not existing for God's sake, indeed, religion is exhaustive. And religion is full of sorrow. And so we see here reflected in this people that it is possible to be religious, but in that religious living, to not find rest and gladness, because ultimately it's reversed the relationship. It's made religion serve man's purposes rather than man serving God's purposes. And so this was indeed a day of exhaustion and sorrow. But it doesn't end there, right? This day of of exhaustion and sorrow gives way to a day of rest and gladness, right? And we see this transition in verse 6 and following. Is not this the fast that I choose, right? God's not saying that I don't desire religion. I don't desire these things. I do desire these things, but I desire that you engage in them in such a way that shows that you are my people You engage in them in such a way that religion doesn't just become a way of benefiting yourself, but a way in which you that you get outside of yourself in giving yourself to God and to others. Right? Religion that serves self is exhausting, exhaustive, and sorrowful. But a true religion that God desires of His people is one in which ourselves are given to other people. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? This is the kind of religion that God desires of his people, one in which they are giving themselves. And all of these examples here are those who are in in need the oppressed, the hungry, the homeless, and going out uh, and giving yourselves to them. And in that, in, in, in such a transition from serving self to serving God and others, the day changes, right? What, what transitions the day from a day of, 
of, um, of exhaustion and sorrow to a day of rest and gladness. It's when religion no longer serves self, is only a, a matter of making myself better, but it becomes a means by which I serve God and I serve other people. It's the transition that takes place in conversion, right? When God takes somebody who was serving self and are in their sin and then frees them from that to now love God and to love their neighbor. That's what takes place in conversion. When we come to hear the message of Jesus Christ, God's Son, we come to hear the message that he came to bring light, he came to bring rest, he came to bring gladness, trusting in him, and by trusting in him, being bound to him by faith. And we are bound to Jesus Christ by faith. We then are transformed into his image of no longer serving self, but serving others. Is that not what Jesus did? In bringing light, did he not love and serve his father and love and serve those around him and giving himself and ultimately giving himself for you on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life in obedience to the will of his father to save his people. That's what Jesus Christ has done. And in doing so, Jesus Christ has opened up for us a new day. That of no longer serving God from a sense of exhaustion and sorrow, but of serving God from, with rest and gladness in our hearts. This is the day that Jesus Christ has made. It's interesting, we had sung before the, um, before this, the, the sermon um, a hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness, which, interestingly enough, was written by Christopher Wordsworth, who was a relative of the famous English romanticist Williams, William Wordsworth. And um, Christopher Wordsworth, in writing this hymn, was reflecting upon Psalm 118, where it speaks about the dis- of, of the day that the Lord has made. And in this we will rejoice and be glad in it. It's that verse that Wordsworth had in his mind as he penned this hymn, but it's the very day that dawns in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's opened up a new day. The light of a new day, a day of rest and gladness has broken forth and God's people today are invited into that to walk in the light and to enjoy their God in Jesus Christ, his son. No longer religion being a day of exhaustion and sorrow, but a day of rest and gladness for God's people. And it's this day, the Lord's day, every Sunday, that we have a foretaste of the fullness of that day to come. It's on the Lord's Day that we have a wonderful foretaste, a wonderful foreshadowing, a wonderful um, um, glimpse into the day of rest and gladness that awaits the people of God in its fullness. The light has dawned, and it's on this day, the Lord's Day. And so when we think about this commandment then, right, when God calls us to honor the Lord's Day, when God calls us to set it apart from the other six days of the week, He's reminding us of the rest and the gladness that Jesus Christ has won and where our lives are ultimately heading. It's very easy for our, to, to get caught up in the currents of this world, just pulled along, and not even realizing that these things are moving us and pulling us. The rat race, the, the desire to climb the corporate ladder, to, uh, to obtain things, to gain things, to grow, to develop, all of these things we can just get caught up in. But God gives us this day, a Lord's day, a day of rest and of gladness to remind us of where our lives are ultimately heading. And it becomes a great challenge for us then because it reminds us that 
the Lord's Day and the religious activity that God calls of his people is not intended to be sort of fitted into our schedules, right? We have six days of the week, and now I need to fit a seventh day in. I need to fit the activities of this day in. Rather, it's the reverse what this commandment is calling us to. Because it is a day of rest and gladness, God is calling us and giving us every reason not to fit this day into the rest of our week, but to fit the rest of our week into this day. Everything revolves around this day. And so, therefore, God says in the fourth commandment, not just rest on the seventh day, but rather he says that you are to work on the six days because you are to take care of your affairs and of your responsibilities and of your occupations on those six days so that this day might be a day full of rest and gladness, that you might fully give yourself to the festivities and the activities of this day. And the highlight of that day, of course, is coming to worship God, coming to be with his people in corporate worship, to sing his praises, to call upon his name, to hear him speak to us from his word, a word of love, a word of grace, a word of good news to his people. You see, this day of rest and gladness, because it is a day of rest and gladness, ought to be the day that we um, um, define our lives by. And it ought to be the day in which we fit everything else we do into. Not that we take this day and pu push it into our schedules, but our schedules are made to revolve around this day. God does not call us then to put a day of exhaustion and sorrow into our schedule and to, and to revolve ourselves around it. But God gives us in Jesus Christ a day of rest and gladness to revolve around our whole lives to keep us focused on the ultimate goal of our lives and to remind us then ultimately that our religion, that our, 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 our um, carrying out uh, these things for God and living for him is not meant for God then to serve us or to exist for our sake, but that we might exist for his sake and for his glory. And so Isaiah is told in verses thir uh, 13 and 14, if you turn your back from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not by going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. That's the most remarkable thing that's said in this text here. All right, so we're talking about our lives as Christians, right? revolving around a day of rest and gladness that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And that day of rest and gladness is one in which God himself becomes our delight. You see, the day serves the, our communion, our fellowship with God. It's a day in which we come to delight not just in, a, in the day itself, but in the Lord, in our God. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And this, this is where we find true rest and gladness, right? We began by reminding ourselves that God made you for rest and gladness in him. But sin entered the picture, darkening the day into one of exhaustion and sorrow, a treadmill-like existence. But God sent his son to bring about a new day. In Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, a day of rest and gladness has dawned. 
And by as the gospel goes out, the good news of Jesus Christ, we are brought into that day already. And the Lord's day becomes the greatest foretaste for us on earth of what awaits us as God's people. And what awaits us as God's people, the climax, the peak of all of this, the apex of glory that awaits God's people, that awaits you, is a delight in the Lord himself. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the kind of religion that God calls us to. You know, the word religion has a kind of a bad rap at present. Um, you hear songs like losing my religion or um, getting rid of my religion. And it's because religions become to be viewed as simply exhaustion and sorrow. You just do things and you decide to put pressure on God and, and you seek to, but it's, it's empty. It's, 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 um, it's futile. But true religion is a vital, dynamic, loving relationship with the triune God. That is what true religion has always been. And, and so we see then how the Lord's Day then, then, then um, centers our lives around true religion. It reminds us that we exist for the sake of God and for his glory. And it reminds us that we will not rest and we will not find gladness until we rest and rejoice in him as our God. And praise be to God that in Jesus Christ, he invites us into that rest. Come to me all who are um, um, burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And Jesus prays for his people in John 17, Father, may they be filled with my joy. The joy that we've had together from, from all eternity. That's the joy, that's the rest that Jesus offers to his people. He offers to you, he offers to the world to come in and to partake of that. And so if you find yourself today in a day of exhaustion and sorrow, Jesus Christ calls you to come to him and enter a new day. Find a new day, a day in which you can rejoice and be glad in a day of rest and of gladness. This is the day that the Lord has made through the death and resurrection of his son. It is a day of light, a day of rest, a day of gladness. So brothers and sisters, on this day, today, right, this is the day we've entered into. Let us rest. Let us find gladness in the Lord. Let us engage in these activities of hearing God's word, of, of singing his praises with our whole hearts. Not holding ourselves back, but giving ourselves to God from the heart in wholehearted worship. That's what God calls us to do, and he has given us every reason to do so. Because only again in him do we find a day of rest and of gladness. Amen. Father, what a joy it is uh, to come into the Lord's Day, a new day uh, to begin our week with a foretaste of the great day that will dawn when Christ comes again to usher his people into eternal life. So, Father, as we have a foretaste of rest and gladness that is ours already in Christ and will be ours in fullness when he comes again, may this day then be one in which we give our whole selves and our hearts to you in worship, that we might find you indeed to be our highest joy, our greatest reward, and that you might meet with us as your people. Father, to hear your word, to come, to worship you, your call to worship that goes out and to heed that call by your grace. We thank you for these things. And Father, we thank you for the fellowship, the communion, the love that we have with you, our God. We pray, Father, then that we would live in the delight that you give us as we walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.